0: Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. Hey, today the story is... <laughs> it's another story to let you know how it was like to live in colonial times. Um, to set the stage. You'll need to remember the story of George Washington. They call it Bulletproof George Washington. When he went out with General Braddock... They were building a road and General Braddock was attacked. He was ambushed by Indians and evidently most of the officers were killed and George Washington had to take over. Well, it was during this exact time, during this exact battle, that this story is told. James Smith was 18 years old. And he'd been called to go with 300 men. Pennsylvania had agreed to furnish them to build the road for General Braddock. And while he was on a message from one group to another on the road, he was captured by the Indians. Now, in those days, to be captured by the Indians simply meant torture and death. But somehow he survived, and... This is his story told in his own words. In May 1755, the province of Pennsylvania agreed to send out 300 men in order to cut a wagon road from Fort Loudon to join Braddock's Road near the Turkey Foot, or three forks of the <laughs> Yohonganya. Hmm. My brother-in-law, William Smith, Esquire of Conochiagua. <laughs> Sorry, my pronunciation of some of these words just isn't... I don't know what they should be sounding like. And he was his brother-in-law who was appointed commissioner to have oversight of these road cutters. We went on with the road without interruption until near the Allegheny Mountain. When I was sent back to order to hurry up some provision wagons that were on the way after us. I proceeded down the road as far as the crossings of Juniata, where, finding the wagons were coming as fast as possible, I returned up the road again towards the Allegheny Mountain, in company with one Arnold Vigorous. About four or five miles above Bedford, three Indians and made a blind of bushes, stuck in the ground as though they grew naturally, where they concealed themselves about fifteen yards from the road. When we came opposite to them, they fired upon us at this short distance and killed my fellow traveler. Yet their bullets did not touch me, for my horse, (laughs) making a violent start, threw me and the Indians immediately ran up and took me prisoner. The one that laid hold on me was Canafatagua. The other two were Delaware. One of them could speak English and asked me if there were any more white men coming after. I told them not any that I knew of. Two of these Indians stood by me while the other scalped my comrade. Then they set off and ran at a smart rate through the woods for about 15 miles, and that night we slept on the Allegheny Mountain without fire. The next morning they divided the last of their provision, which they had brought from Fort Duquesne, and gave me an equal share, which was about two or three ounces of moldy biscuit. This and a young groundhog, <laughs> about as large as a rabbit, roasted and also equally divided. That was all the provision we had until we came to the Loyal Hannon, which was about fifty miles. And a great part of the way we came through exceedingly rocky laurel thickets, without any path. When we came to the west side of Laurel Hill they gave the scalp halloo, as usual, which is a long yell or halloo for every scalp or prisoner they have in possession. The last of these scalp halloos was followed with quick and sudden shrill shouts of joy and triumph. As I was at this time unacquainted with this mode of firing and yelling of the savages, I concluded that there were thousands of Indians there, ready to receive General Braddock. But what added to my surprise, I saw numbers running toward me, stripped naked, excepting breech clouts, and painted in the most hideous manner of various colors through the principal color. Uh, That was vermilion or a bright red. Yet there was annexed to this brown, black, blue, etc. As they approached, they formed themselves into two long ranks, about two or three rods apart. I was told by an Indian that could, that could speak English that I must run betwixt these ranks, and that they would flog me all the way as I ran, and if I ran quick, it would be so much the better as they would quit when I got to the end of the ranks. There appeared to be a general rejoicing around me, yet I could find nothing like joy in my breast. But I started to the race with all the resolution and vigor I was capable of exerting, and I found that it was as I had been told, for I was flogged the whole way. When I had got near the end of the lines, I was struck with something that appeared to me to be a stick or the handle of a tomahawk, which caused me to fall to the ground. On my recovering my senses, I endeavored to renew my race, but as I arose, someone cast sand in my eyes, which blinded me so that I could not see where to run. They continued beating me most intolerably until I was at length insensible. But before I lost my senses, I remember my wishing them to strike the fatal blow, for I thought they intended killing me, but apprehended they were too long about it. The first thing I remember was my being in the fort amidst the French and the Indians, and a French doctor standing by me who had opened a vein in my left arm, after which the interpreter asked me how I did. I told him I felt much pain. The doctor then washed my wounds and the bruised places of my body. (laughs) He used French brandy. As I felt faint and the brandy smelt well, I asked for some inwardly, but the doctor told me by the interpreter that it did not suit my case. <laughs> I was then sent to the hospital and carefully attended by the doctors, and recovered quicker than I expected. Some time after I was there, I was visited by the Delaware Indian already mentioned, who was at the taking of me and could speak some English. Though he spoke but bad English, yet I found him to be a man of considerable understanding. I asked him if I had done anything that had offended the Indians, which caused them to treat me so unmercifully. He said, No, it was only an old custom the Indians had, and it was like, um, How do you do? (laughs) After that, he said, I would be well used, I asked him, if I should be admitted to return with the French. He said, no, and told me that as soon as I recovered, I must not only go with the Indians, but must be made an Indian myself. I asked him what news from Braddock's army. He said the Indians spied them every day, and he showed me by making marks on the ground with a stick, that Braddock's army was advancing in very close order and that the Indians would surround them, take trees, and, as he expressed it, shoot them down all one pigeon. Sometime after this I heard a number of scalp halloos, and saw a company of Indians and French coming in. I observed they had a great many bloody scalps, grenadiers' caps, British canteens, bayonets, with them. They brought the news that Braddock was defeated. After that, another company came in, which appeared to be about 100 and chiefly Indians, and it seemed to me that almost every one of this company was carrying scalps. After this came another company, with a number of wagon horses and also a great many scalps those that were coming in and those that had arrived kept a constant firing of small arms and also the great guns in the fort which were accompanied with the most hideous shouts and yells from all quarters so that it appeared to me as if the infernal regions had broke loose. After sundown, I beheld a small party coming in with about a dozen prisoners stripped naked with their hands tied behind their backs and their faces and part of their bodies blacked. These prisoners, they burned to death on the bank of the Allegheny River, opposite the fort. I stood on the fort wall until I beheld them begin to burn one of these men. They had him tied to a stake and kept touching him with firebrands, red-hot irons, etc., and he screaming in a most doleful manner, the Indians in the meantime yelling like infernal spirits. In this scene appeared too shocking for me to behold. I retired to my lodging both sore and sorry. A few days after this, the Indians demanded me, and I was obliged to go with them. I was not yet able to march very well, but they took me in a canoe up the Allegheny River to an Indian town that was on the north side of the river, about forty miles above Fort Duquesne. Here I remained about three weeks, and was then taken to an Indian town on the west branch of the Muskingum, about twenty miles above the fort, which was called Tulahas, inhabited by Delawares, Kanaguagas, and Mohicans. The day after my arrival at the aforesaid town, a number of Indians collected about me, and one of them began to pull the hair out of my head. He had some ashes on a piece of bark in which he frequently dipped his fingers in order to take the firmer hold and as he went on, <laughs> as if he had been plucking a turkey, until he had all the hair clean out of my head, except a small spot about three or four inches square on my crown. This they cut off with a pair of scissors, excepting three locks, which they dressed up in their own mood. Two of these they wrapped around with a narrow beaded garter, made by themselves for that purpose, and the other, they plaited it full length and then struck it full of silver brooches. After this, they bored my nose and my ears and fixed me off with earrings and nose jewels. Then they offered me to strip off my clothes and put on a breech clout, which I did, Then they painted my head, face, and body in various colors. They put a large belt of wampum on my neck and silver bands on my hands and right arm. And so an old chief led me out in the street and gave the alarm halloo. Ooh-wee! Several times repeated quick, and on this, all that were in the town came running and stood around the old chief who held me by the hand. In the midst, as I at that time knew nothing of their mode of adoption and had seen them put to death all they had taken, as I never could find that they saved a man alive at Braddock's defeat, I made no doubt but that they were putting me to death in some cruel manner. The old chief holding me by the hand made a long speech, very loud, and when he had done he handed me to three young squaws who led me by the hand down the bank into the river until the water was up to our middle. The squaws then made signs to me to plunge myself into the water, but I did not understand them. I thought the result of the council was that I should be drowned and that these young ladies were to be the executioners they all three laid violent hold of me, and I for some time opposed them with all of my might, which occasioned loud laughter by the multitude that were on the bank of the river. At length one of the squaws made out to speak a little English, for I believe they began to be afraid of me, and I sa- and said, No hurt you. On this I gave myself up to their ladyship's, who were as good as their word, for though they plunged me under water and washed and rubbed me severely, yet I could not say they hurt me much. These young women led me up to the council house, where some of the tribe were ready with new clothes for me. They gave me a new ruffled shirt, which I put on, also a pair of leggings done with ribbons and beads, likewise a pair of moccasins and garters dressed with beads, porcupine quills, and red hair, also a tinsel-laced cap. They again painted my head and face with various colors and tied a bunch of red feathers to one of these locks they had left on the crown of my head, which stood up five or six inches. They seated me on a bearskin and gave me a pipe, tomahawk, and pole-cat-skin pouch, (laughs) which had been skinned pocket-fashion, and contained tobacco, kilogensigo, and dry sumac leaves, which they mixed with their tobacco. Also, spunk, flint, and steel. When I was thus seated, the Indians came in, dressed and painted in their grandest manner, As they came in, they took their seats, and for a considerable time there was profound silence. Everyone was smoking, but not a word was spoken among them. At length, one of the chiefs made a speech, which was delivered to me by an interpreter, and was as follows. My son, you are now flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Remember, you're learning the truth. (laughs) Tell your friends, speak with boldness, and keep your powder dry.